Well, today we are uh, jumping into week three of kind of our Advent uh, series where um, where the last couple weeks we've looked at how God meets us in this place of waiting, um, how last week we talked about how in our places of struggle, in our places of suffering, that God is with us and that He's even interceding for us and we don't even have any words left. That it says the Spirit intercedes for us in our place of, of weakness. And today I want to pick, pick up this idea of weakness and look at it a little more closely. Um, this is something that we've talked about here and there. Um, but I, 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 want to, I want to look more closely at this idea of how God um, meets us in weakness. And it's actually counter to our culture and really the whole system of, of, the, of the world. That it's actually in our places of weakness that God most explicitly pours out his power and demonstrates his strength in our lives um so in the book of isaiah which is an old testament prophet he's prophesying around the year 700 so this is 700 years before christ isaiah uh the first 39 chapters he's it's called the book of judgment where isaiah is just bringing all these words of judgment against the nations and against israel itself now he's a he's a prophet in the in the southern kingdom of Judah, and but he's he's prophesying against the north. He's prophesying against the the south, and and he's bringing just what he feels like God is saying, which is judgment against all these people who are sinning and who are rebelling against God. And so, as the story of the Old Testament plays out, God's people Israel were divided into two kingdoms: the north and the south. And and in around seven the year seven twenty B.C. The north is is uh, exiled by the by Assyria, and so Isaiah see this sees this happening, but then um, he around the in in the in the in five eighty six the southern kingdom is also exiled to Judah, and um, and so the second half of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, it kind of. It's almost like he jumps into a future scenario where the southern, the kingdom of Judah had been exiled by this rising power of Babylon, but they were about to return. Now, this hadn't even happened. None of this had happened yet. He's, this, is in seven, this is hundreds of years beforehand. But he jumps into, into the mind of what, what it's going to feel like when this exiled people is about to return to the promised land. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, it starts... A totally different tone than the first 39 chapters. And it starts like this. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for, for all her sins. What this is saying is, hey, that you've been exiled, you've been punished for your sins, but now you're going to receive double. That means double the blessing, double the reward. You're going, to, you're going to return to the land and you're going to rebuild. And, uh, and so I want you to be comforted. He's saying this to a people who are in exile, who are totally removed from their land, removed from their promises, removed from what they feel like God has destined them for. And I think one word you could put on this is that they feel weak. They feel, 
They can't make anything happen in their lives. They've been, they've been relegated to a, a, the country of Babylon, and now they're just needing to wait it out for God to move and act because there's no way that they can re- get themselves back to, to a place of feeling strong and capable. And it's in this place where Isaiah says, oh, God wants to bring a word of comfort because he's going to do something, and it's not going to be because you're strong. He's going to do something because he's strong. And so be comforted in this place of your own frailty and weakness and see what the Lord does. So at the end of chapter 40, we have this famous picture that Isaiah uh, gives us that you may have heard. And it's actually, we watched the Remember the Titans. Uh, It's like the sports movie from the early 2000s. And uh, on the bus back, you know, from the camp, they're singing uh, this uh, this song. Um, but here's here's what it says. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In His un- understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Again, this is to this exiled people. And then verse thirty and thirty one. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. He's getting at this idea of exchange. That, that we're going to give God this, um, our, our human weakness. And He's going to give us His strength. That, that he renews their strength for those who hope in the Lord. So that's what we want to talk about this morning, is the fact that God renews our strength by giving us his strength in the place of our weakness. So we see in, in the scriptures this divine artistry of God who transforms our weaknesses into vessels of his strength. There are, let me see here, uh, let me find it. At times in life, right, there, we can experience such, such an array of, of highs and lows, triumphs and challenges, joys and sorrows, in pursuit of God, of obedience to God of a life of faith, we often encounter we often encounter moments of weakness. These may manifest as physical limitations, or emotional struggles, or spiritual battles, or just um, an inability to to say to to have self control or whatever it is. It can be a lot of different things, but it's natural in this place to question why why would God allow me or allow us. To, to be in this place of weakness in this journey? Shouldn't it be strength to strength? Shouldn't, 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 isn't, isn't God's glory best displayed in my capabilities, in my um, capacity for, for, for greatness? Why is it that God seems to say in the Bible that, the, that in weakness, His glory is most on display? We want to look at this, um, and, and the reason I'm talking about it in, this, in, this, in the space of Advent is because it kind of 
it's, it's the arrival of God in the way he came and in the way he left that is significant for us. He came not uh, as a, you know, a, a, a fully strong adult man, warrior, you know, to, to deliver Israel, but he came as a weak baby through uh, an insignificant, by worldly standards, young woman in a back, far off place of, you know, there was Jerusalem and there was Bethlehem. Bethlehem was nothing. He came in, in this way that was insignificant, that was weak. That the God of heaven, that we would think that he would come and reveal himself in this way, that, that's significant. And then the fact that he, that, he, that he actually came not to through physical war or domination, but through a spiritual breaking of the power of death, that he came to die on a cross in the place of the most obvious human weakness, to actually be the place where God pours out his resurrection power, that is totally upending of, of, our, of our frameworks as humans about how strength and weakness work. And it is the case also for the Apostle Paul. Um, so Paul was this Pharisee. He was a, he was a zealous uh, Jew in the first century that thought that through power and through domination and through through structures of religion that he could help this Jewish people become obedient to the, to the law of God. And so he saw the means of violence and, and power and domination and strength as the, as the vehicles that God uses to conform people to his, to his will. And then he encounters the risen Lord Jesus on the way to Damascus. He's on his, on his way to go and persecute this this uprising of Christians, people who are Jewish but who are following Jesus. He's, they're, they're, it's all the way in Damascus now, which is far in the north. He goes, no, I'm going to go there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to snuff it out through violence because this cannot be tolerated. We want God to, to come and restore Israel, and so we can't let these little things be happening that are that's springing up saying that this crucified man is the Messiah. This is nonsense. Let me go, let me go shut it down. On his way there... Jesus appears to him in, in, a, in a bright light and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, my Lord. So he recognizes that whoever, this is God talking to him. And, uh, and he said, so, so this is kind of what, set, what totally upends Paul's understanding of who God is and of how God works. So Paul's blind for three days. This, this man Ananias in Damascus heals him through God's power of his blindness. And then he kind of removes himself for about 13 years from active ministry because he's, he has to sort out everything about life and about who God is and how he works. And, and uh, he's even, it says, the Bible says he's in Arabia, which is kind of the desert for the, the first three years. He like goes to the desert and says, I don't know what's what because... If that man on the cross was God, then everything I think about how power works and how, how, how God's going to come needs to be totally re, reappraised. So uh, in the book of, in the, really the letters of First and Second Corinthians, Paul really expounds this because out of any church that he's writing to in the New Testament, it seems like the church in Corinth is the most bought into to, to the world's ways of thinking when it comes to power 
and weakness. Corinth was a, a, a decently uh, wealthy port city in ancient Greece that, um, that really allowed for, for worldly dynamics of, of wealth and power and violence and domination to, to it worked pretty well, especially for the, the adult men. And it seems to be that throughout these letters, he's kind of really speaking to the men in particular because it's their dysfunction and their misunderstanding of who Jesus is that's really causing a lot of um, issues in the community. So in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 9, we find a profound answer to our question about how and why God would allow weakness to be a part of our, of our journey. The Lord declares to Paul, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is a... a a, uh, a significant point of revelation for Paul. And I think it, 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 the line of this traces all the way back to this encounter on the Damascus Road. That in your place of weakness, my power is, is most on display. Not in our strength. Not in our giftings. Not in our accolades. Not in our reputations that we can build with other humans. But God's power, because, because here it is, in our place of weakness, it, it, it's, not a, it's not a question of who, whose strength is being displayed. Is it your strength or is it God's? In our place of weakness, there's no question, it's not me. That's for sure. So if you see anything commendable, if you see anything worthy of praise, it's, it's one of those things where it's all glory is to God because it's, I, I have nothing to, to stand on. I have nothing to boast in in myself. To, to consider the life of Paul, he's a man who faced great persecution as he, as he sought to, to, to partner as a witness for Jesus in, in the Greco-Roman world. He was in prison countless times and, and had obviously such, a, such a, uh, a, a slew of personal struggles. Yet in um, acknowledging his weaknesses, Paul became a vessel for the extraordinary power of God. It is the crucible of our weaknesses that transformation, that transformation occurs. A transformation that aligns us more closely with the image of Christ. Again, if we see the power of God most on display, the, the very pinnacle of God's power is on display in the cross and resurrection, then then that's where the boasting occurs. So even Paul, in this, in, in this uh, scene, in fact, I'll just read this now. There's, there's a lengthy scene in, um, in 2 Corinthians where Paul is trying to correct their thinking on how power works, on why and who, um, of, of what you should boast in. Now, it seemed to be that the Corinthians uh, were looking to, um, to kind of, undermine Paul because he was not what they thought of as a strong and capable leader. And so Paul kind of is defending his true apostleship that Jesus Jesus sent me to you. I'm not it's not I'm not I'm not boasting in my own credentials here. Uh, in fact he he says it like this at the end of second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven he says if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. 
The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, remember, he's on his way to Damascus when he encounters the risen Lord. This is then years later, he goes back to Damascus. It says, in Damascus, the governor under King Eratos had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Uh, so think about it like this. Uh, Paul is this apostle who, who's, who's in Damascus teaching boldly. He's you know proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is risen from the dead, that he is the, the, the hope of, of all the nations. And he's causing such an uproar that the king of this of this district says, shut down the city. And instead of, of, of saying, now is our time to, to rise up and revolt, or whatever he could say, he's, he's saying, I was in, a, in the most humiliating way possible. I escaped, not because I was strong. I was lowered in a basket down the, down, down the, down the side of the wall of this fortified city, and I escaped. So clearly in that scene, it's not... Paul and his strength, but it's it's God's power in a way that would prevent the, the king and his army from seeing him and arresting him, and he, he escapes. So he's saying, that's that's what I want to boast. If I want to be known for anything, I want to be known for that. Wait, what do you it's so what do you mean? Like what do you, why even share that story? That is not glorious. That's not glamorous. That's not gonna get people to to think that you're something. And he's like, exactly. That's the point. I'm not, I'm not trying to get people to think that I'm something. I want people to be able to make much of God and recognize that if He's, willing, if he's able to use me in all of my weakness, in, 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 in my places of, of, um, of inadequacy, then He can use you too. Then He can use any of, any of us. In fact, it's often our own... Arrogance in our own strength and, and, and capability that can get in the way of, of God using us in, in a way that actually brings him that brings him glory. So then I'm gonna I'm gonna just read a, a, a chunk of first of Second Corinthians twelve to get at this a little bit more. It says, I must go on boasting. This is chapter twelve, verse one. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to the visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to a third heaven. He's actually speaking about himself, but he says, I know a man because he's, he wants to almost distance himself from what would be something that people would be like, wow, you're amazing. I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like this, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I, will not, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, 
and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, he speaks of this thorn in the flesh. There's no way of knowing what this could have been. Some people think it was epilepsy. Some people think it could have been depression. Some people think it could have been some physical ailment, some bodily injury or issue that just wouldn't go away. It didn't, it didn't totally incapacitate him, but it made it uh, clear. It, was, it, was, they, it seems that they would have known. Whatever this thorn in the flesh was, he's inferring that you know what this is to, to the people he's writing to. So there's something about me that is causing me to be weak in some way. I ask God to take it away. Would you take this thing away from me so that I can be more capable for you? So that I can be more strong? So that I can do the work that you've called me to do without this hindrance to, to me that people could, could look at and, and it, would take, it would make less of me? Uh, and uh, contrary to... Um, you know, some some. This is a, a a contrast to I think some word of faith teaching that would say that if we just name it and claim it, if we believe with enough faith, then God will give us whatever we're asking for. There's something to the place of faith, and it's crucial. But there's a tension in Scripture because Paul says, "A man of great faith who saw many many things God do miraculously." He says, "I asked God to take this thing away, but he he didn't. He didn't answer my prayer." And what does he say? To Paul. He says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I think if you're like me, we want to hide our weaknesses. We want to kind of keep the things that we're not proud of that we're ashamed of, that we're kind of dealing with. We want to keep it out of, out of the light so that I can, and maybe hopefully, maybe, just, maybe hopefully this will go away and then I can just be like good and not have any like dings to my body or to my mind or to my, to my life so that I can just be at peace in myself and with the Lord. This is, uh, this is confounding because it, it upends the place of prominence we put on strength in our culture. So what would it look like for us in our personal lives, in our church community? What would it look like to, to allow our human weakness to, to take a place of, of prominence, not for its own sake, but in a place of recognizing that actually how is God glorified in our, in our weaknesses? This is a, this is a thought that, that, that requires much consideration. Um, and Paul doesn't just, he's not just trying to kind of make sense of why he, this thing's not going away, but he attaches it directly to Jesus. Because Jesus is the model. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus actually calls us by His Spirit to be conformed to His image. How does weakness speak to the fact that when Jesus calls us, He says, take up your cross and follow me. The cross is this place of, of suffering. The cross is a place of, of vulnerability. The cross is a place of, of weakness. That it's not a place of strength in and of itself. 
It's a place of helplessness. Take up your cross and follow me because I am going to the cross and I want you to come with me to this place where it's not about your strength. It's not about your, the things that are impressive in your life. It doesn't mean that, that those things can't bring glory to God. It doesn't mean that when you're good at something or when you're, you're, um, you're known for something that there's not a, people can see that and say, wow, that's admirable. I want to be like that or I see the glory of God in that. That's very, I think that's very much the case often. But what's challenging to consider is that it's actually, it seems to be in this, in this, in the scene here, that it's in, it's in weakness. That it's, it's, the, 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 the amount of power that God pours out is, is greater than if it was just what, what we would be, um, powerful in or strong in. So he, he attaches it to, to Christ himself. So that, he says, I will boast all the more. If this is true, God, I'm asking you to take this thing away, but if it's just true that my power is, is made perfect or is, is seen on display in, its, in, 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 in the most, in the greatest way in your life, if, if my power, if God's saying my power is put on display the most in your life when you feel weak, then he says, okay, then I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. If we, if we are people who want the power of God to rest on us, then, then we have to allow weaknesses not to be seen through a lens of shame and, and, and guilt or, or hiddenness or I, don't, I, need, I need to keep this tucked away or I feel I, should, I, feel, I want this, I need to be, this needs to be gone from my life. But in this tension of faith, he acknowledges, I want it gone. But then, he, but then he comes to a place of acceptance to say, okay, God, if this is, if you want to use this thing in my life to bring you more glory, then, then I'm actually going to center it. I'm going to boast in it. I'm going to allow for it not to be a place of shame, but, the, but the, be a place of recognizing that when I'm weak, then I'm strong because it's there that you pour out power and grace for me. It says, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Boasting in weakness is a counterintuitive concept in a world that values self-sufficiency and strength. That you can, that you can do it. You have what it takes in you. You're sufficient. You're, you want, we want to portray ourselves as powerful, as competent, as capable. All these things. Paul challenges us here to find glory in our weaknesses. For in these moments, we become reliant. We were forced to become reliant more than ever on God's strength. The ultimate symbol of God's power in weakness is the cross of Christ. The crucifixion a seemingly weak and shameful event becomes the epicenter of divine redemption. Through the cross, God brings salvation to humanity, turning the greatest symbol of weakness into the source of eternal strength. Might it be, and this, was, this comes from a, uh, a book by Henry Nouwen uh, called The Wounded Healer. Might it be that it's actually in our places of weakness that we would bring strength to others? 
who, who, who faced similar struggles, in our places of woundedness, that we would actually be healers of others through the power of God. Because if, if people see a place of weakness in your life that you're not ashamed of, not a place of wickedness, I think there's a difference, I'll just make a nuance here, a difference between weakness and wickedness. Wickedness is obviously sounds bad. Weakness is like, it's a, it's a place of mercy or pity or whatnot. There's some things, I think, if we say, I'm tempted in a way, I feel, I feel weak in a way, but I, by, but I allow for that temptation, then I'm, then I'm actually opening up, opening up the door to, to wickedness or to, to sin. I'm weak in a way, and then I allow, I make an exception for it, and then I'm, now I'm just sinning and calling it weakness. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying, if I, if I allow people to see me in, in a place of weakness, where I don't have it all together, where I'm not fully strong, then they can more identify themselves with, with that place. And it can actually, in a, in a way, bring hope and bring strength to that person to recognize that the distance isn't as great as they thought it was when we have it all put together. So that's kind of Nowen's idea. For, 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 for followers of Jesus, we're called to become wounded healers. If Jesus himself was a wounded healer, and he, and he heals us through his woundedness, then what does it look like for us in our places of weakness or woundedness to actually be healed by God ourselves in, in a place of recognizing his powers with us there and then be a source of healing towards, towards others? Um, what, and what does this look like as a community to bear each other's uh, burdens? Let's see, in Galatians 6, 2, Galatians 6, 2, let's see if I can find it here. Paul, in another one of his letters, says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Another place it says that, the, that the, the loving each other it fulfills the law of Christ. So carrying each other's burdens is a way of loving each other in our places of weakness. He instructs, he instructs us to carry one another's burdens. This call to communal support recognizes that we're not meant to face our weaknesses alone. That we're actually called to enter in to each other's weaknesses and bear them with each other. So as a body of believers, we're called to uplift, to encourage, to, to be sources of strength to one another through, in, 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 our, in their weakness and, and, and vice versa, through our, and through our shared dependence on God. We all need God. We all need God to, to meet us with His mercy. We all need God to, to be a source of strength in places that, that, feel, that, that are lacking in our lives. And so what would it look like to, one, allow each other um, well, I guess one, recognize that, that God wants to meet us most profoundly in our sources of, of greatest weakness and, and shame, because and, often shame is in there with it. And two, what would it look like to allow each other more into those places? And three, what would it look like to bear each other's burdens in those areas, to be sources of encouragement and strength in those places? This is, this, is, this is the call. This is the invitation for us this morning. That in our weaknesses, that we wouldn't 
despair. But again, through through the, the upside down nature of God's ways, that we would be, that we would rejoice, that we would boast even in our weaknesses. For it is through them that God's power is made perfect, that it's most on display, that He most dwells. That if we want to encounter God, if we want to, to meet with Him, that he, he dwells most potently, if you will, in our places of weakness. We, want, we sometimes can think, I want to I meet with God, and so I have to get things together to meet with God. But if, but if Jesus Himself comes to meet us in our weakness... Then I don't. I, then there's nothing for me to get together. He's coming to the to the end of me is the beginning of him, and he's walking with me into wholeness. He's walking with me into strength. He's walking with me into the land of the living. As we journey through life, may we embrace our weaknesses, walking with each other, bearing each other's burdens, knowing that they're opportunities for divine transformation. Let us not like like let us like Paul boast not in our strengths but in the power of Christ that sustains us. We can be thankful for our strengths, but the place of greatest boasting is when it's not it's not it's not me, but it's God himself. Unquestionably. The grace of the Lord is looking to sustain us. Is the grace of Jesus is looking to be poured out. The power of God is 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 you know the Bible says that He searches to and fro throughout the earth to, for, for hearts that are fully His. I think we can kind of elaborate on that. That's from Second Chronicles. We can elaborate on that in the person of God in Jesus, that God is searching the earth for. For hearts that are fully His, for hearts surrendered to Him, for, and, and for people who recognize that in their places of weakness, God is looking to meet with, with the most grace. He's looking to bring that word of comfort. He's looking to, to bring that word of mercy. That word of saying, I'm not asking you to, to figure this all out. I want to meet you in this place. I want to meet you in this struggle. I want to meet you in this weakness. Because that's where I poured out my power on Jesus to raise her from the grave. And that's where I want to pour out my power on you to transform you to be able to see that when you are weak, you are strong. Amen. Let me pray. And I just want to invite God. We're going to, we're going to sing a little bit. Um, uh, we're going to sing one song and then, and then our, our, our hymn. Our, our Christmas Carol. Um, if there's if there's a place, uh, even in this in this time where we're together, if there's a if there's a place of weakness that you've felt ashamed of, if there's a, pl- a place of weakness that you're like Paul and you're like, God, take it from me. I don't want this. Maybe God would answer that, but maybe He would be saying, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in this place of weakness. And if there's any way that we can let each other in to these places, um, even if it's just cracking open the door, or maybe it's you know fully entering, and I want to just invite us to be able to do that this morning. Let me pray, and, and we'll respond.
So Holy Spirit, I thank you for your grace that's poured out in weakness. I thank you that, Jesus, you upend the systems of the world that value self-sufficiency and strength and power and, um, and dominance and all these things. Jesus, your kingdom's upside down. So I pray, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us this morning, what you're calling us into as a community and what you are, uh, are putting in front of us. God, that in our places of, of weakness where we don't have much to give, that you are looking to meet us with profound grace, with eyes of mercy, with a heart that is for us, with the comfort of the God of creation that says, comfort my people, that I'm looking to comfort you in this place. So Holy Spirit, we pray, come and meet us as we turn to you, as we worship you. We're thankful, God, that there's no place in our lives that we can go where you are not there. And we're thankful, God, that even in the lowest place, even in the place farthest removed from our feeling of, of strength, that you're looking to meet us. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.